I want to welcome all of you who are new to Jesus. I know that as the summer begins to end, um, there are some of you who are starting to kind of explore. And throughout the summer, maybe the spring, you've been thinking a little bit more about church, about Jesus, and you're, you're giving it a shot. And so uh, I want to welcome you here today, um, if, that, if that describes you. And uh, for the rest of us who would consider ourselves um, Christians and say uh, that we um, follow Jesus, I want to welcome you as well, and I want to say today is going to feel like a Bible study, okay? So it is going to feel, um, maybe you've come tired, um, and if that's you, just go ahead and start sleeping now, uh, because uh, you're, you're, it's, going to be a, it's going to be a rough go for you if you are tired today, because um, you're going to need alertness. You're going to need a sharp, a sharp mind. So hopefully you're going to bring a sharp mind this morning, because uh, this is a very interesting text. And what happens is we, we're preaching through the book of Luke. So if you're new to our church, just so you know what we're doing is we're wanting to capture the life of Jesus. And so the great thing about preaching through a book is that you can't skip passages. Um, and so to, this last week when I was studying this and Jeff and Kevin, who are the pastors at our Yorkson and Aldergrove campus, the three of us had a meeting and we're all like staring at each other like deer in headlights. We're like, what does this mean? Uh, what is Jesus talking about? It's a difficult passage this week. So anyway, but that's good. No skipping allowed. So that's why we're here today, and uh, we're going to dive in. Um, I'll pray in just a minute, but I want to begin with Lewis, C.S. Lewis. And some of you have read the Narnia series, and you'll know that he um, has the Christ character, which is the lion, Aslan. And, uh, you know, in Narnia, Narnia has been locked into this terrible winter, ongoing winter, Always winter, but never Christmas, right? And, uh, but Narnia was under this spell of this evil a ruler um, and this queen that was evil. And, and, but, the, but this prophecy that one day the king would come back, that one day Aslan would return. And when he, and when he would return, spring would, spring would come and it would begin to melt the ice and the snow and dismantle the evil grip that the queen had over the land. So in the words of Mr. Beaver, here's the prophecy. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bares his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we'll have spring again. So after this long, dark winter, the king is promised to return. And today we're going to be reminded from Jesus uh, of, the, of his second coming, of the, what we would call the return of the king. And so to bring a little Tolkien in here, Lewis's friend, Tolkien, writing The Lord of the Rings, uh, as he wrote the story of Aragorn returning to Gondor, like he had this in his mind. You know, Tolkien was a Christian. This was the hope. So Lewis and Tolkien have this hope and they embed it into their, into their stories. This idea that the king would come back for his people, that the king will return. And Christians, this is our hope. Jesus has promised to return and to put the world back together. And every Advent, just so you know, Advent at Christmas, it, just, it means coming, right? And so we celebrate the coming of Jesus to Bethlehem. But every Advent, we're also looking forward to the day when Jesus would come again. And so we remember his first coming at Christmas, but we look forward to his second coming. And there's an ancient prayer of the church, which is, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And what that prayer is, it's praying for him to come again come back, return to the king, come and heal this world. And so what I want to ask you before we pray is, are you ready for him to come? And I mean that, like, 
Are you ready for him to come? Am I ready for the return of the king? Jesus, we come to you and we thank you for your truth, for your words. And you have given us your truth that you have promised to return. That's true. And we want to anchor all of our hope upon that reality. And so, God, for many of us in the room who maybe feel a bit, um, a bit new to this idea that you would return, God, open our eyes. For many of us who have heard this message a thousand times, open our eyes. And God, I pray that you would fill us with a great hope, especially at a time when we're watching what's going on in our province and the fires and the devastation. And Lord, um, we, see, we see so much pain and so much sorrow, and we pray you would heal our land. And as was prayed earlier, that you would, that you would guide the firefighters, um, the first responders. God, fill them with strength. We're thankful for them and their skills. Protect them. God, we pray your protection and comfort for all people who are close to losing or have lost their homes. Lord God, watch over them. Raise up the church in each of these cities um, and, and show us how we can help and be a blessing at, at a time like this. And so, Lord, today, God, we just pray you'd fill this room with your hope. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. Open our eyes. Amen. Okay, so grab your Bible. Um, this would be very good to have about, even if it's, you know, if it's digital, you guys like the digital, so keep it open. I, I would just say keep, keep focused on the word here. And um, there's a lot to cover today. And, uh, and so we're going to jump into this, okay? So Luke 17, if you have your Bible, open to Luke 17, starting in verse 20, and then we'll read to the end of the chapter. Here we go. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? They asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Are we truly thankful 
Yes, this is the word of the Lord. I love it. Okay, so we're thankful that he's given us his word, and uh, we're also grateful for the many uh, wonderful teachers and pastors and Bible scholars and PhDs in theology and biblical studies who have gone before us. Amen? So that little people like me can glean their wisdom. Okay, so let's dive into this. Um, so this is a tricky one, right? Noah, Sodom, people being separated, vultures, dead bodies. Let's dive in. Verse 20 and 21. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. All right. So Jesus is being questioned by religious leaders. And their question is this. They're, they're wondering when the kingdom of God is coming. Do you notice the when piece? It, they're looking for a timeline. Clearly, they don't believe that the kingdom had come. But they are totally missing everything that Jesus had been teaching. Because Jesus had been teaching that the kingdom of God was there with him. Like that he was bringing the kingdom with him. Listen to Mark 1. The time has come, says Jesus, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. See, this was the good news. And the word good news in Greek is euangelion, which is where we get the word uh, evangelism, right? It's sharing the good news. This was the good news, that the kingdom of God had come. And in the Roman world, many of you will know that when they wanted to get a message to, to different cities, they would send out runners. The empire would send runners uh, to go to different cities with good news, and they would either carry a scroll with them or they would carry a message that they would know. And they would say, hey, good news, guess what? Caesar has won a war in Europe, you know? Or, hey, guess what? Caesar has, um, has had a son and he will be the next emperor, whatever it was, you know? Um, or a new king is on the throne. And this was the euangelion. This was the good news. And so, so what does Jesus say that the good news is? What is the good news? He says that the kingdom of God has come near, right? In his life, Jesus has brought the kingdom. And what is the kingdom? Well, the kingdom of God is everywhere God is king, where God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's individual believers becoming Christians. It's, it's Christians loving their neighbor, caring for the poor. It's the church gathered in worship. It's all of those things. It's anywhere where God's will is happening um, on earth, as it is in heaven. Uh, Tim Mackey says it this way. He says, quote, the kingdom of God is how God is taking back his world. So a world of sickness and pain and brokenness and death, um, all kinds of sin. So God is going to heal the world and he's going to do it through his kingdom. God is going to put the world back together. This broken world with all of its misery is going to be healed by God. And that started 2,000 years ago with Jesus. And for the last 2,000 years, it's been growing as, as all across the nations, you know, from Langley, British Columbia to Kathmandu, Nepal, right? That the good news, the euangelion of the, of the kingdom of God has been growing and people have been surrendering to this king and his kingdom. And they're watching their lives restored and hopefully they're seeing marriages restored and hopefully they're seeing people with addiction find freedom and hopefully they're seeing people who are who have no idea who God is, give their lives for the first time. Um, hopefully they're watching the poor who are cared for and fed. And, um, and so it's, this is the beauty of the kingdom of God growing throughout the world. So God's healing the world through his kingdom. 
But now this is puzzling, right? It's puzzling to many in Jesus' day because they're like, show me your army. Where are your chariots? Where are your swords, right? You know, Jesus says the kingdom's here. Well, in their mind, if you're a king, show me your army, right? Like, where's your... So if you're bringing the kingdom, Jesus, then kick the Romans out because the Jews, they were occupied by Rome. So where's your army? We don't see this kingdom. Like, where's the government? You know, the government of God, where is it? And so Jesus needs to teach them a lesson. He's saying, in verse 22, he says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Like, it's here. It, it, it doesn't come with, with buildings. It doesn't come with armies. But God's rule and reign is here. And you can just, like, literally reach out and be part of it. Reach out and grab it. Right? So some people have said, oh, it's invisible. It's an invisible kingdom. Well, that's kind of right, but not really. Because the kingdom of God is anywhere where God's will is being done. You can see it. You can see it. But there's no building. There's no army. And so he's, he's telling them, do you want to join? He's looking at these re- religious leaders. You want to join the kingdom? And he writes says this, God's sovereign plan to put the world to rights is waiting for you to sign on. It's a movement. Do you want to join? You can be part of the kingdom. For those of you who are new to Jesus and you're just exploring things, I want to let you know this is an invitation to you. You can be part of this kingdom. All right, verses 22 to 25. Now, watch Jesus. That was part A. Now he's part B. He's going to turn to teach his disciples, right? So it's a different audience. Notice that. When we're reading the Bible, we've got to be careful to see who he's talking to. So notice verse 22. It says, then he says to his disciples, right? So he's just talking to his followers now. The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Okay, really quick, note that last little verse there. Jesus says, first of all, he, the Son of Man, is going to be rejected. And so he's saying, let me tell you what's going to happen after the cross. Right? So he's, he's, he's prophesying about his death. Jesus knew he was going to die. His death is not an accident. He says, after this death, let me tell you what's going to happen. Right? After my death. All right. So what does he say? So he means this as an encouragement. Like, it's like he, imagine Jesus. He huddles. He brings his disciples together. And he says, listen, you guys, the time's going to come. After I die, um, you are going to wish that I was around, right? You're going to remember the days you had with me. Uh, remember, you know, and it's like the disciples are like, remember when we had Jesus with us? It was amazing, right? He was like multiplying loaves and fish, and he was walking on water, and like everywhere he went, there were miracles, and he was so loving. And like when he taught from the Torah, from, the old, from the, what we call the Old Testament, he was brilliant. Remember those days? He like had an answer for everything, I wish we could go back to those days. And Jesus says, listen, uh, you're going to long to see me, uh, but I want you to know something. I'm coming back. I'm coming back, right? And for now, for now, don't follow weird people who think they're me, okay? So this is, if if this is something you guys need to uh, underline in your Bible, please do, right? Don't follow these people that claim to be me. That's not me. 
Because when I come back, you'll know. You'll know. Um, my first coming, says Jesus, you know, so I'm putting, you know, this is what I think Jesus is saying here. He's saying, it's humble. Christmas is quiet, right, in a manger to a poor family in the corner of the Roman Empire, right? It's quiet, it's humble. My second coming will not be like that, right? It's not going to be. Everyone is going to know. There will be no doubt as to my second coming. Why? Because he says this. He says it's going to be clear. He says, for the Son of Man in his day, verse 24, will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. Um, you know, growing up in Oklahoma, we had big storms, big storms, and uh, lots of tornadoes. But, uh, but I just remember watching these dark clouds roll in, these massive clouds are just turning, coming towards you. And, uh, and then when there were lightning, lightning storms and lightning strikes, and some of them were like, you know, vertical, um, and those are, that might be what this is about, and it just lights up everything. But have you seen the horizontal lightning, right, that just goes like sideways? It's just unreal. And it's like we all see it. It lights everything up for a moment. And, this is, and Jesus said this is like a picture, maybe, of what it's going to be like. Um, he's basically, it's this metaphor. It's just saying this, everyone's going to know, right? It's going to be clear. Now, some of you, if you're new to Jesus, you're like, why does Jesus need to come back? Like, what's, what's the point there? Well, let me just dive into this a second. His promise to return is that he is going to bring the fullness of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. As I just mentioned a moment ago, we believe that he has already brought the kingdom and that for 2,000 years, his kingdom's growing, Right? through all nations, all peoples. People are giving their lives to Jesus. It's beautiful. New churches are starting. It's it's growing all across the world. But that the fullness of his kingdom is not here yet. And we know this because we look around, right? All kinds of pain, sickness, sin, brokenness, death. So we, we know that the fullness of God's kingdom is not here yet that moment when he's going to make all things new, when he's going to fully heal the world. So, so where do we live? We live in this in-between space where Jesus has already brought the kingdom and it's a movement and it's growing and it's beautiful, but it's not here. Our own brokenness in our life shows that it's not fully here yet, right? So you and I, Christians, we say we live, we live in the already not yet, right? We live in this in-between land. And so we look forward to the day when he comes back to make everything new again, right? In his fullness, that we await the return of the king who's going to take a broken world and make it right again, right? Now, Jesus calls himself the son of man. Did you notice that? Okay, this is going to be really important um, for, for us to understand what he means by the son of man. Just so you know, this is huge, it's massive, it's very hard to understand who Jesus is if we don't understand this little title for himself, the Son of Man, okay? So let's dive into that for a second. What does this mean? It's loaded. Okay, did you know that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man 77 times in the New Testament? The Son of Man. It is his favorite term for himself, right? It's It's the name he literally gives himself, 
you would say, oh, would it be Christ, Messiah, right? Christ, Messiah? No. Would it be Lord? No. I mean, he is all these things. Would it be Word, Logos? No. Like, th those are all true about Jesus, but those are not his favorite designation for himself. His favorite term for himself is Son of Man. Son of Man. Some of you will know that before he's crucified in the Sanhedrin, when he's on trial, he uses the phrase, the Son of Man, for himself. And what happens? Pandemonium. Blasphemy. The places I rate, these religious leaders cannot believe. They cannot believe that he just said that he was the Son of Man, right? And, and he's crucified because of this. Like, just so you know, it is, it's loaded. And so what you and I have to do is we have to go back 2,000 years and put ourselves in the mind of a Jewish person. What are they hearing when Jesus uses the phrase, the Son of Man? Well, here's what they're hearing. They're hearing a hyperlink to the prophet Daniel. Did you know that? It's a, it's a hyperlink. So you click it, Son of Man, boop, and it takes you to the prophet Daniel, chapter 7. And if you would, would you open your Bible to Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14? I want to let you know, highlight these verses. These are so important to understanding who Jesus is. I'll give you a second. Daniel 7, 13 to 14. So if you're new to the Bible, we're now going back hundreds of years before Jesus to a prophet who had been taken uh, as a slave or an exile out of Israel to uh, a kingdom called Babylon. And Daniel worked for the king, and he was in the court of the king. But he was given visions by God, visions and dreams. And, and they're written down in the book of Daniel, and we're going to be in chapter 7. So this is one of Daniel's visions. He sees the Son of Man, and look what happens. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, I'm going to read that again, and I'm going to insert Jesus, okay, into this passage. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, Jesus, Coming with the clouds of heaven, Jesus approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Jesus was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped Jesus. Jesus' dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and Jesus' kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus wants you to see this. He wants his followers to see this. Daniel chapter 7 is pointing to him. The vision Daniel had received hundreds of years ago was about Jesus. Now, notice the Son of Man. Look at, look, at, look at how interesting this is. The Son of Man rides on the clouds. See, the clouds are where God dwells, right? God dwells in the, in the, in the Old Testament, right? Where he's in the cloud um, in the temple when the glory fills the temple. He's in the cloud on top of Mount Sinai, right? Um, that's, that's the presence of God. So, so this is literally the presence of God is carrying this one. He rides on the clouds. And what does he do? He rides into the presence of God, the ancient of days. 
And Daryl Johnson, my professor, had pointed out that the rabbis had, had, had seen that as they studied this text, they said, it's interesting because the Son of Man doesn't bow before the Ancient of Days. Who doesn't bow when they come into the presence of God? And he doesn't confess his sin when he comes before God, the Ancient of Days. If you'll remember in Isaiah in the temple, in Isaiah 6, like he sees the glory of the Lord and he's like, boom, on his face and he's confessing his sin. He's like, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. Like, forgive me. Who is the kind of person that can waltz into God's presence and not confess their sin and not fall down flat on their face? And not only that, is given authority, glory, power over all the kingdoms of the world. That one day, Canada would bow its knees to this king. That one day, the United States would bow its knees to this king. That one day, China and Russia would bow their knees to this king. Who has that kind of authority? Who is this? That all the nations would bow to him? That he would have authority over all things one day? It's Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the rightful king that has all authority to come back and heal the world. And at Jesus' ascension, at the end of his life, when he goes back up, he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, at the right hand of the Ancient of Days. And Jesus has established his kingdom. So what is he saying to his disciples? He's saying, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Yeah, my kingdom is here. It's already here. I am on my throne. The project has begun, but I am coming back. And when I am coming back, I'm going to put this whole broken world back together. When I come back, everything will fall in its right place. Now, that's called judgment. Not a popular term these days. Judgment, right? It's called judgment. Why? Well, because aren't you and I longing for someone who's going to be the ref? To, to, to call evil, evil, and good, good? Think about it right now. Some of you in the BC court system have run into horrible moments where justice was not served for your family, right? or for you, or for your business, or for something like that, right? And aren't you like, this is terrible. What is going on? This earthly court there's no justice. You and I, our hearts are longing for justice, for somehow God to come and to make it right. Now imagine that times a million, just all the stories, all the brokenness, all the pain in the world. We're like, God, make it right. Bring your judgment. Just so you know, see it in a positive way. It means he's making it right. He's the good judge, and in the cosmic courtroom, he's going to make things right, even things that the earthly courtrooms have passed over. He's going to make it right. Now, the question is, as we anticipate that day, will, will we be ready? Will I be ready? Do I even want him to come back? Verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. 
It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Okay. Um, Jesus is using two stories from the Old Testament. Um, and he's referencing them just very quickly as though we know them. <laughs> and I'm aware that maybe some of you here are new and you may not know these stories. So both of these stories come from the book of Genesis. Um, so we're going way back. And there are these stories of God bringing his judgment. And they're very uh, graphic, powerful stories. Um, you can check them out this week on your own time. But just tip of the iceberg here. So the first story he references is Noah. So the world was breaking God's heart the way the world was living. And God was going to bring his judgment on the world. But what he did is he saved this remnant, this family, and told them to, told Noah to build this boat. And that this picture of this family saved, this remnant saved of a people who love him. And... Um, and it's like God kind of brought to himself those that loved him and, and judged the world. And the second story is the story of these twin cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. And they were breaking God's heart as well. Uh, actually, the prophet Ezekiel says that, um, that there was a lack of justice in these cities, lack of justice. And so um, it breaking God's heart. And so what he did is he called out his people from that city. And it was Lot and his family. And he just, he, he pulled them out. He rescued them, brought them to himself as he, as he had to judge this, this city. These are terrifying stories. But they're images that Jesus is using to, to, to say this. This is what he's saying. He's saying in those two places, people were just kind of living the way they wanted. And they were going against God's way in the world. And they were judged. And... They weren't ready. They had not prepared themselves. People were, he says, people were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage. They were buying, selling, planting, building, right? Normal life. Jesus is not saying these things are bad. He's just saying they were just focused on that. It's all they were focused on. And they hadn't a clue. They weren't ready. They weren't preparing themselves um, for what was about to happen. When I was working on this sermon, I thought, was there a moment where I was not ready? It literally did not take me, it was a, it was a flash of a second where I was like, oh, right. Um, my daughter's 10, and so 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago, uh, she's our first child, and um, so you might think that I had nine months to prepare myself, uh, but at four in the morning on October 21st, 2012, um, Tanya wakes me up, you know, four in the morning. She's like, the baby's coming and we got to go to the hospital. And, uh, so, uh, I did not have a packed bag. And so I'm scrambling around and I'm trying to figure things out, you know, cause it's all about me at this moment. And I'm, you know, trying to figure things out. And, uh, and I saw at the, my bedside table, I was like, Oh, uh, somebody had got me the idiot's guide to becoming an expectant or to being an expectant father or something like that. And I was like, right. And I run over and I, I like grab it and I start putting it in my bag. And Tanya is just like, you know, bent over me. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm bringing the book to learn. 
And she's like, we're having the baby today. Like, there's no time to read, right? Like this, what are you doing? And um, I'm like, okay. And so, uh, so we drove and, and I thought about that story because I thought, well, A, I was definitely not ready. I mean, who's ready, you know, to have their child? But, but uh, yeah, not you. And, uh, you know, no one's ready. Um, but, you know, pregnancy is a nine-month process. So technically, I had nine months to read this book, right? And, uh, and I think there's some, like a parallel here, right? There's this sense of creation groaning and expectation uh, for the Son of Man to be revealed, right? There's a sense of, like, expectation. He's, been given, he's given us 2,000 years, not nine months, right? So, we're, so we should be ready, prepared, right? And um, prepared for his second coming. Am I ready? So I have to ask myself, am I ready? Verse 31 to 32. Um, on that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. He's saying this. He's saying, don't look back. Don't look back and try to grab stuff as I was grabbing that book, right? Don't look back and try to grab stuff. The baby is coming. Christ is returning. It is happening. Don't look back on your old life. Don't cling to your possessions, your money, your stuff. Lot's wife did that. In the story of Sodom, she did that. She looked back longingly at the city that was breaking God's heart as though she still wanted it. It shows you the good life she was living in Sodom. It's like she wanted it. Genesis 19, we read, but Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. A terrifying image of second guessing. This is, this is the picture of somebody who's not sure that the rescue of God, that Jesus' second coming is good news or that God's way is good. Right? It's one foot with God, but one foot in the old life. And it was her looking back longingly, you know, about the old life. So Jesus says this. He says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. See, when the return of the king happens, um, the lines will be clear, right? And, 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 and we'll either, we will either come longing, going, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> yes. Woo. You know, shouts of joy that you're here. The king's here. Or there will be a looking back, a longing for the old life, right? Not ready. Not ready to welcome the king. There doesn't seem to be much middle ground here. Verse 34. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? They asked. Well, let's pause. Let's not go to that one yet. Hold on. We got, some, we got some work to do before we get to that one. Okay. All right. Now, many will read this little passage about one taken and one left, and they'll think of the rapture or the left-behind novels. I won't do show of hands, but, you know, how many of you just went there in your mind? Um, many of us grew up reading those novels. Maybe if you were like a youth kid in the 90s, you read those novels. Um, and so we have that picture in our mind, right, of, of the rapture, of someone taken. Um, if you are new to Jesus and you don't know what I'm talking about, actually, you're in a good spot because you, <laughs> you got a clean slate, right? So you get to start fresh. Uh, so that's good. That's good for you. 
Um, and, and so here's my, my gentle encouragement. I would say a gentle encouragement um, for us not to go there in our mind. Um, one day I commit, uh-oh, hold on, maybe that's, I, I take that word back, I don't commit. Maybe we'll do like a whole series on the end times together as a church, hey? Would that be fun? Like 12 weeks and we'll just like get in there and like study it. Um, that'll really thin out uh, the group here. Uh, anyway, so um, anyway, no, I don't know. We'll see about that. But, uh, there, there, but I just want to say this. Um, there's a lot to actually say, and I think we will actually do a series in, in, in the next number of years on this because it's important because Jesus talked a lot about his second coming, and he talked about the end, what he calls the last days. So it's important, but something I really hope just sticks with us is that as we read the New Testament, that Jesus is not coming to take us away. This is a big deal, okay? Some of our previous teachers, pastors, have taught in a way that's actually not helpful. Jesus is not coming to take us away like people believe with the rapture and the left-behind books. Um, he, Jesus is coming here. So just notice the direction Jesus is going. Jesus is coming here. He said when he went in his ascension, I will come back. Right In the same way that I left, I will come back. He's coming here to be with us. It's the return of the king here. If you read the last two chapters of the Bible, God is coming to remake the world, to establish a new heavens and a new earth. Now, when you and I die right now, we are with Christ. Beautiful. We are with Christ. We're in the presence of Christ. We have that hope from the New Testament. But that's not the end. The end is God bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven in a new heavens and a new earth. So where is the direction of Jesus? I don't want to fly away in the rapture to be gone because Jesus is coming here. I'll miss Jesus. You know? I, I want to be where Jesus is. He's, he's coming here. Now you say, well, what then does the rapture mean? Well, rapture comes from the Greek, which means caught up, right? So we're caught up. And the idea here is that idea of, the Rome, of a Roman emperor coming to a city or a king coming to a city. The, the, the city civilians are caught up. They rush out to greet him. To do what? To welcome him back, okay? To, to welcome him here. Remember Palm Sunday. What did people do? They left Jerusalem, and they welcomed him back into the city with palm branches. Imagine a massive Palm Sunday, as it were, welcoming our king, saying, Hosanna. So we're caught up to meet with him in the clouds in order for him to return as his rightful king. Palm Sunday, because he's coming here, right? Where He's coming here to reign in a new heaven and new earth. He's coming here to bring his goodness on earth as it is in heaven. He's coming back here to fix our world and put everything back together. This is our hope. And the question is, are you ready for this day? And Jesus is clear. Some are going to be ready and some are not. Man, I want to be ready. I want to be ready. And, and what I think Jesus is getting at here is that humanity is simply going to be divided when Jesus comes. In the same family, one taken to the heart of Jesus and one left, not wanting it. In the workplace, one taken, one left. Two friends, one taken, one left. And, and there'll be division, right? Now, where will they be taken? And this is the question the disciples have. Verse 37, where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. I love hitting this verse at 
eight minutes after noon. Okay, let's do this. So believe it or not, this is a positive verse, okay? So work with me here. Um, (laughs) People will be taken. Notice, okay, Noah and Lot and their families, where are they taken? To a good place, right? They're they're rescued by God. They're, They're brought to himself. And so remember, this is positive. So let me explain. The word translated vulture is actually the same word as eagle. Okay, so eagle, vulture, same, same word here. And in the Greek, just so you know, the word body is here, not dead body. The word dead is not there. So here is Matthew's translation, um, Matthew's living translation, the MLT. Uh, where the body, there also the eagles come together. Okay, so there it is. Where the body, there are the eagles. <laughs> and you're like, how is this helping, Matthew? Please. Uh, well, I find this interesting. Did you know that God said something similar to Moses when he had rescued his people out of, out of slavery in Egypt? He said this in Exodus 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Ah, okay. Now we're getting some clarity. When Jesus comes back as a king, we see the re- when we see the return of the king, God will free his people and carry them on eagles' wings to himself, to his body. Like Noah and Lot, carried into safety, God will be tender with his people, and he'll bring them to himself, to his body. Okay, let's step back and look at the whole passage now. The kingdom of God, Jesus says to the religious leaders, it's here, it's here, it's in your midst, it started, the movement has begun, but time is short. Life is short at any day, any day in the last 2,000 years. He could have come back, any. So so Jesus is coming back, and am I ready for it? Am I ready? In In the secular age, we go on eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage, buying, selling, planting, building. Those are some positive things, but they're not positive when all of our hope is in them. My hope is only in my marriage. My hope is only in what I can eat, what I can buy, what I can sell, what I can plant, what I can build. And I'm walking around in life just thinking about my next vacation and the next thing I'm going to buy and the next hope of this and this. And my ultimate hope is not in the coming of Jesus to make all things new. And I live my life like this, just looking down. But, but could I live? Could I live expectant? See, when I, when I was thinking about my life this week, I was like, it's, it's quite embarrassing to think that I rarely think about Jesus' return. I rarely think about it. I imagine that when Jesus comes back, the fun is over somehow, right? Like it's all over. All opportunity for life is lost. But that's really to misunderstand the scriptures. The beauty of what's promised is that it will be like what we have, but astronomically better. (laughs) A new heavens and a new earth where God is with us. No more sin, no more death. It's beautiful. All things made right. Imagine a restored creation, all things made right. Why am I not longing for that, for a total healing of the world? And so I have great hope. The world is not some you know, train that's headed towards death and decay. No, Jesus will come and make all things new. When he returns, wrong will be right, 
When Jesus comes in sight, and at the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bares his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we'll have spring again. When the king returns, he'll bring the fullness of justice and truth and goodness and mercy. And so I would hope that we together could join together and continue to pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, we want your fullness to come. We want death to be wiped out. We want justice to be done. We want a new heavens. We want a new earth. Could we learn to pray like that? And I have to ask myself these questions. Am I living today in a way where I'm ready for him to come and be king? When he comes back and I see him, will he find me faithful? If he were to come back today, would he find me faithful? Here's an important question. Am I prioritizing the right things as I wait? Things that are on his heart. Am I sharing the good news? Am I truly loving my neighbor? Am I caring for the least of these? Am I investing in what he wants me to invest in? Am I stewarding everything he has asked me to steward? Or am I spending my life on stuff that doesn't matter? See, a whole load of questions come to mind for us. But I love 1 Peter 1. With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. I love that. Set your hope on the grace that is coming. North Langley, grace is coming. Grace is coming. And I hope his second coming fills you with hope. Hope that God has not given up on the world, but has a deep love for the world. Remember, remember his love. The son of man who has all that authority gave it up and was crucified on a Roman cross for you. Sacrificed his own life. Shed his own blood. Because he was committed to put the world back together again. That's love. Can we stand together? We're going to worship. We're going to spend time thinking about the goodness of his kingdom. But I would invite you to join me in prayer here as we end. And if you would like to, you can close your eyes. You can extend your hands. It's a posture of receiving from the Lord. But let's pray together. And, and as we close our eyes, I just want to encourage you that when we pray, God, bring your kingdom, let your kingdom come, Sometimes he'll start, to, he'll start to clean house. <laughs> and when he starts to clean house, things get messy. And um, our prayer and worship team had a bit of a word for us today that said, if it feels like things are messy, could it be that God is starting to clean house? <laughs> and, uh, and you need a strength. And so our prayer team is here. They'd love to pray for strength for you, hope for you. If you need hope, come forward. Um, we'd love to pray. Our prayer room's there. But let's spend some time together here. So Lord Jesus, we come into your presence and are grateful that you've allowed us to come with such openness, boldness before your throne. And we pray right now as we ask some of these questions that you would give us insight on how we're living. So Jesus, today, are we living in a way where we're ready for you to come.
Jesus, would you show us ways in which we are not living faithful to you? That you would find us faithful. Lord, would you point us to the things you want us to invest in and to steward as we await your second coming. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Heal the world. We trust you. We love you. And we pray that our church family here would be filled with joy when we see you in all of your goodness and grace. Amen.